to Weaving Voices, Connecting Community Through Hawaii Life Stories, a podcast series in partnership with the Center for Oral History at the University of Hawaii Manoa, the Hawaii Council for the Humanities, and Hawaii Public Radio that features excerpts from the archive of over 800 interviews of Hawaii women and men at the UH Manoa Center for Oral History in the Department of Ethnic Studies, College of Social Sciences. many threads to the history of Waialua. The first sugarcane plantation started there in 1865, but it wasn't a success until decades later. Castle and Cook bought it in 1898, built a new mill, a railway system, water storage, and irrigation. Fast forward to 1991, and the Waialua sugar mill produced 8% of the sugar in Hawaii. Five years after that, in 1996, it was the last sugarcane plantation to close in Hawaii. Wailua's relative isolation meant change came more slowly than in some communities on this island. And you'll hear more from these interviews, which were conducted in the summer of 1976. We start with Lorna Awai Berger, who was born in Wailua in 1905. Her Hawaiian mother was from Lahaina and her Hawaiian-Chinese father was born in Waialua, where he was a jailer. She was one of 12 children, attended Waialua Elementary School, and her continuing education took her to McKinley High School at the age of 14, and she actually finished school in Greeley, Colorado. While she came home on weekends from McKinley and visited, she didn't move back until 1965. She taught at Kalakaua, Farrington, and Manoa schools. And she played Hawaiian music and sang and occasionally did that professionally. And she talked about what it was like growing up there. We had our own tar patches. And there was a time that one of my brothers even had a rice plantation. I think he had about five acres. Because the back of Haleiwa, it's all farmland, mm-hmm. taro and uh, hasu and, and hasu. Uh huh. Because and then there's a spring, you know, in the back, which is used to feed our taro patches mm-hmm. and rice fields. Saturday was our poi day. We made enough poi. Actually, I think we had two barrels that were about three quarter full of poi, which lasted the family for a whole week. We children had to go and do other chores like taking the horses down to be bathed right across the way at the beach. And then we had to do other chores like getting the wood into the kitchen, into the wood bin, or clean the lamps, lanterns, you know, fill them up with oil, wash the chimneys, put them away before we could go and play. Or swim for the rest of the day. Did you pick limu and things like that when you were kids too with your mother? Limu fishing, we went uh, opihi fishing. Oh, we did everything that the old folks did. Did they have big opihis in this? Oh, yeah, all along here. No, all the way. In fact, we would go from here to to, just a little ways up, enough. Mm. And they were. And they were good size, oh, good size of the. And she'd have to go early in the morning when the 
tide is low and we just dive you know all around and take whatever we want but mm. no no more mm. you can go all day and you find right. one if you're lucky and, a little mm -hmm. and the fishing is the same fish holes were destroyed by uh, these divers putting Clorox in it once they do that the fish don't come back did you folks make your own salt we gathered our own Every summer, we would go to Vaimea, the reef, the shoreline, you know, was taken for the army when they were building the roads during the war. And so much of the uh, reef is gone. But anyway, they used to, we used to go up there and we had our own little pool. Each family had their own section. August or July, depending on how hot the sun was, you'd have these beautiful flakes. We made enough salt to last us a year. As time went on and more people came and the military started going to the beach, we didn't know whether the pools were clean. Somebody could have kapuluded it. Yeah. Eh? And we used to find beer cans in the, in, the, in the pools, so we stopped going. Our second interview reflects much the same time period as the first. Patrick Arnold Jack Wong was born in 1899 in Ko on Hawaii Island. His father had emigrated from China in the 1880s. The family moved to Waialua after Patrick was born, where his father became an interpreter for W.W. Goodale, the first manager of Waialua Sugar Company. Patrick left Waialua to attend St. Louis High School next going to the University of Dayton and on to Hong Kong in Brazil. In 1953, he returned with his family to Hawaii and worked for American Security Bank until he retired. And in his interview, he started talking about his father. Can you describe what your father did exactly for Mr. Goodale? Oh, he was just a simple interpreter. Whenever there's anything to be done, well, they require uh, an interpretation all my, my, my father. And then my father has a shop, uh, only about a few hundred yards from the, from the sugar mill. And then Wailua at that time, on the Wailua side, not far from the, from the Wailua school, there used to be a Chinatown there. There used to be a Chinatown when Chantim was there, uh, when that uh, Yihap was there. And then further over in Haleiwa, there's a Yi Chan, the store. There was even the Chinese drugstore, and Chinese restaurant, and so forth, around the Wailun. And then they have another Chinese shop near the bridge over in Wailua, just below the bridge there. I remember that well. And you see all Chinese talking, and then they, they play by Gao. Were there rice plantations? Yes, the rice plantation is Mokolaia and Kawai Hapai. They import water buffaloes and import all the implements for, for uh, cultivating rice from China. They have those old things. Oh yes, we used to go there. Wasn't that quite expensive to bring? No, in those days it's not expensive at all. That's why they could afford it. That's only a short distance from our house. Mokolea. Oh. Yeah. That's where the rice used to go over the states. Not like now, coming from the states. Did they used to sell some locally? Too? Oh, yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. We used to sell them those rice that we used to buy. Did most Chinese work for the plantation or work outside the plantation? Mm, mostly uh, work for the plantation, except a few that uh, do their own planting. What kind of crops? Oh, Chinese vegetables. Bitter melon and gaijoy and things like that. Big vegetable gardens. Uh -huh. Oh, yes. I remember around the Wailua, uh, before we go to the second bridge, there's a big area where they plant all kinds of vegetables. Yeah. Were the Chinese planting taro? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Planting taro and this, what you call, lotus root. Plenty of that. Mm. I remember those things. So. And then eventually most of the Chinese left. Left. Or did they die? They die, and then the, the children refuse to do that kind of work, and then they come out, they get a better education, they do something else. Our next interview gets us to the daily workings of the sugar plantation, starting in the early 1920s. Alfredo Santiago was born in Honolulu in 1908. His father came from Puerto Rico and married a Portuguese woman from Hawaii Island. His father died when Alfredo was eight years old, leaving him to care for his mother and three younger siblings until she remarried a year later. He quit school after fourth grade and began working for the Waialua Sugar Company in 1923. What was your first job? Oh, I was in a boy gang. They used to call them the boy gang. You know, you pick up the scrap of the cane and pile it up. The women's, they had women with us together, see? And then we load the cane cars with a step ladder. Mm -hmm. And then from there I rode up, rode up till I got into the harvesting, driving mules, yeah. pulling cane out, see? And I stood there for quite a while, and then from there I went to the locomotives as a brakeman. I stood there for a while, I went back to the harvesting, and that's where I ended up. When you first started to work in 1923, do you have any idea how many people might have been employed by the country? Oh, I think over a thousand. Over a thousand. But they don't have that today. No, they don't need that many here. Cotton cane only had 150 men, and the loaders had 150. They don't have. Where that men went, we don't know. They all out. It's not that the plantation threw them out, but was job elimination. Gradually, you know, they improved themselves how to get things done. So the man kept on going. Even the Puerto Ricans, where they went? Most they went to Oakland or to the mainland. Haywood, Oakland, all, all they all back there now. Most. If there were still jobs for them here, because this plantation never laid anybody off. No. If there were still jobs for them here, why do you think they left? Well, I don't know. They just probably thought the mainland was better. And they took off. What kind of house did you get on the plantation? Well, the houses wasn't so bad. The house that we had had a three bedroom, parlor, and kitchen. Of course, the toilet you know, was, was outside, you know, yes. like the olden days. The only time we had pipe in the kitchen was only for cooking. Oh. No such thing as that you could take a bath in the house. You had to take a bath in a wash house outside. What did you eat for breakfast? Well, breakfast, most we used to, before I leave the house, I only take a cup of coffee and maybe some bread with, you know, butter or something. Where did the coffee come from? Well, most of uh, the coffee used to come, the, some, some of us used to go pick it up, see, Where? up in the mountains. You know? yeah. And then we used to pick some home. 
you know, dry them, and then my mother used to roast them, and then she used to grind them with a grinder, and then she makes powder out of it. See, not like now, more on a powder side. And then she used to get the strainers. She make the hot water and put the coffee inside, so many spoons. And she got another pickle where she poured and run the water through that bag and then turns to the, you know, makes coffee. And where in the mountains? Way up in the mountain. Ooh, it's way up. Which side? Wailua? Wailua. We used to go up, way up. Go pick it up, put them in bags. And my stepfather had a, they had a horse and then we used to load them on a horse, bring them down. Then after a while, of course, the coffee started to come from Kona and all that. Those coffee trees are still there? Oh, the yeah. Mountain? They're still there, yes. Do still you there. go get coffee? From no, there not then? now. Not now. Why not? Because why are you buying a store now? You don't have to. Then days was rather to go, was better off to pick it and make it than go out in a store and buy it. Our next interview mentions a bit of a familiar theme today in the days of the pandemic the flu epidemic, which was raging in Hawaii in 1920. David Mahoy, of Hawaiian and Japanese ancestry, was born in Haleiwa in 1910. At least five generations of Mahoys descend from Haleiwa. He attended Haleiwa Elementary in Lelehua High School, dropping out during the Depression. He was one of the few Hawaiians to work for the Waialua Sugar Company. Do you ever remember Queen Liliopalani coming down to the summer house down here? No, oh, I was too small at that time, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but my mother told us where she would come, right down there by garage now. That building is no more. She used to come with her maid and everybody. That's her summer resting place. So tell me about now, how you got the food or the main things that were in your diet? You, of course, ate a lot of poi. Yeah. What else did you eat when you were a little kid? Summer month, yeah. You know, the wama, you know, it's the wama. Yeah. The wama and moili are plentiful, see, during the summer month. So early in the morning, they would wake us up. Go down there, we jump, we surround one time. Just enough for. For the, maybe a couple days, maybe three, four days, and then we go again for get some more. Did you dry the fish, or how did, or just yeah, eat we, them right then? They they cook it. And majority of it, they have to fry them. They salt it and fry them. Ah, I mean, uh, dry it up. No? Otherwise, it wouldn't last. No more ice blocks. Yeah? Right. So most of the way you preserve things was drying. Drying, right? yeah. 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 Even the you know it's opal too. Eh? Opal. That fish only come when the, the mountain have heavy rain during the winter months. And that fish come down with the water. See? Yeah, about this big. But a lot of bone. We Everybody used to go when <coughs> after the water is calm down, slow flowing. All the kids used to go hooking. A lot of fun. And that fish too, we cook and dry it up too. Did you have garden or raise vegetables too? Most Hawaiian, they hardly have garden, no? Only the oriental. Yeah. Yeah, so only two major uh, vegetables they use. I wasn't that aware of that until now that I've talked to more Hawaiians. That's true. They didn't really introduce yeah. vegetables in their diet till That's later, right, till no. after more Japanese influence, yeah. I guess. That's right, you know. The only uh, other kind is uh, 
seaweed or kind, yeah, but that's not vegetable, no. Do you remember um, in 1920, the flu yeah. epidemic, you were still a little Soon. boy then, yeah. but do you remember yeah. that? My family, I don't know how many, we lost, I don't know how many of them. But as a whole, the Japanese was the hardest, he hit him the hardest, you know. At the time with the Japanese strikes, strikes right. Everybody living together, you know, one family living, one living, how many people? They should live in Hawaii, they should live in Portuguese, anybody live. That's why they would die, every day somebody would die. What about your family? Did any of them get sick? Yeah, we, we all got sick, but somehow we didn't, <laughs> no, no life was lost. Our last interview today is with a Filipino immigrant who worked at Waialua Sugar. Emigdio Cabillo was born in 1909 in the Philippines, emigrating to Hawaii at age 17 in 1926 to work at the Wailua Sugar Company. He was assigned to work in the store because he could speak English. He became a plantation store manager after 10 years before starting his own store. In 1926, not much people yet. So they start coming in in 28, 29 like that. So since everybody's young, uh, 17, 18, 20, 21, they like to play. So we went around the camp, in each camp, convinced them that why don't you make a team in your place and we challenge each other. So those who are smart how to play volleyball, they make a team volleyball. Those who make uh, smart in baseball, they make team baseball. So in each camp, they got volleyball team and baseball team. And every Sunday in the park, we have a visible park, big crowd, because we 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 challenge in each in each camp, we challenge. I do the the score and uh, I do the planning and everything, which which team will play. So that's what we do those days. And sometimes, of course, those who are uh, wanted to play volleyball, they make their own team. So when Saturday night, we challenge in, in, in each camp. So what we did, so that we have uh, something to show to the people, if we agree, the loser will buy five pieces of soda water. And then you used to pass around the people. So that's what he used to do. Same thing with the volleyball. The loser had to buy everything. So whatever they decide, they think it's soda water and uh, donut, if uh, five, ten dozen dollars, whatever. Uh, they agree. After the game, everybody pull up because they bring do uh, they got donuts, biscuit, and drink like that. But there's no liquor, no, 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 no liquor. Only soda water. Oh, in each camp. In each camp. So, did they have any uh, like different ethnic, you know, ethnic group teams like that, like Japanese team? No, no, there's no. none. There's none. The only the Japanese uh, they have a baseball, baseball. And they play among themselves. They, they play among. Well, they, they play in every rural, all the Japanese team. Oh, all the Japanese team. We cannot compete them because they're too good. They are already, oh. all, you know, too good. But like us, we just learning and we just practice only among ourselves. That's the only education we have before. The plantation was so kind enough that we make a, a clubhouse in the camp. Oh. A terra. We have a terra once a week. We pay only 10 cents, that's all we pay. Oh, to see a movie. To see a movie mm -hmm. in the camp. And then later on after that, they make a big game. 
inclination. Then after that, he make a spinning pole. Then ten squat. Okay, some of the young boys they, they learn any, any kind of sport, any kind, tennis, and also swimming. Oh, we even uh, we we used to learn how to swim too in uh, in the swimming pool. <laughs> this look back at Waialua and the voices of many who lived there is brought to you by the Center for Oral History, the Hawaii Council for the Humanities, and Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bill Dorman. Mm-hmm.